So for multifamily, for me, multifamily in particular, I like it because well, people need a place to live, right? Everybody's got to have a place to live and, and uh, they're going to continue to rent. Whether the times are good or bad, they still have to have a place to live. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, and they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer, and we are excited for another Hump Day Hustle. I've got Matt Jones with me. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Uh, anything new this week? Anything uh, exciting or any mistakes you made that you've learned from? Uh, well, something I um, learned a, a new way to adapt uh, using um, lease options. And, you know, they're not just for small uh, or like uh, single family houses. You can use them for medium sized multifamily properties as well. Like, for example, if you had a 50 unit place, you could lease option it to me. And I could pay a very low uh, fee as a down payment. And then uh, I would take over the running of the place. And then I would collect the rents and I would pay you uh, a rent um, uh, less than that. And I would keep the extra money. And then in you know a few years, whatever the um, option limit is, if uh, things are going well and I've saved up some money uh, for a down payment, I could uh, buy it at the price that we decided. Yeah, so that's called a, a master lease option when you're doing it on a, a multifamily. And I, I, I did it on a 120 unit. I've got a friend who did it on a 168 unit. Um, so it can be done on even decent sized multifamily properties or large multifamily properties. As the market gets hot, it's maybe a little more challenging, but everybody's got a reason for selling. Um, you know, if you're if you're going to get those, it's obviously harder to do a lease option on a property that's been listed by a broker. Uh, but if you can find a true off-market deal doing like a, a master lease option or contract for deed or any type of creative financing, definitely is plausible. Now, is it going to happen? Probably not. You know, you're probably less than less than five percent of of transactions are going to even people are going to even consider something like that. Mm-hmm. But you give them the opportunity, you explain it to them. And, you know, that's definitely an option. I've done creative financing on uh, fairly recently, um, since 2016, on four different multifamily buildings. So, you know, it can happen. It definitely, it's out there. And it's just something that you can use as part of your toolbox. Yeah, very cool. And then how about yourself this past week? Anything new or are lessons learned? You know, um, I think the biggest thing right now is just uh, trying to co- maintain complete focus. And um, so one thing I, I I did is, or I've been doing is just 
writing down kind of everything I'm doing during the day. That way they can see where I'm wasting the most amount of my time and what I'm wasting my time on. Uh, that allows me to really like, as I, cause I'm just writing down as I'm doing things. And it's like, mm-hmm. you start to really go, Oh geez, I just spent, you know, 30 minutes on this or 10 minutes on this, 10 minutes on that, five minutes on this. And it's like, wow, I I'm wasting a lot of time. So I need to make sure I'm staying focused and, and not wasting that time. So I think that's the biggest thing is um, I read, I, I've been reading uh, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, which is it's a good book. It's really simple, um, but it's just concepts that we oftentimes don't think about. Um, so that's the book I've been reading and it just made me think about it. So been doing that, been writing down everything I eat, everything I've been doing during the day and really um, trying to make sense of, okay, where am I going wrong uh, during mm-hmm. the day to where I can maximize my efficiency. So, okay. cool. Uh, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to today's topic. You want to introduce it for us? Yeah. So we're, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, large multifamily versus other kinds of commercial real estate and uh, sort of the benefits as well as the downfalls of how they compare with each other. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. So multifamily and we're talking large multifamily, we're talking like a hundred plus unit buildings. Um, where we can, I'll just start us off by some of the pros of the, the large multifamily and then we can dive into some of the other asset classes and maybe talk about some of the pros and cons of this. So for multifamily, for me, multifamily in particular, I like it because well, people need a place to live, right? Everybody's got to have a place to live and, and uh, they're going to continue to rent. Whether the times are good or bad, they still have to have a place to live. Um, Cal, there's other strategies like doubling up, like moving back with your parents and so on. Um, but at the same time, we still need a place to live. So I always like that uh, about it. That that's a massive benefit. Obviously we see what's going on right now with demographics. You know, we've got people are kind of favoring renting more than in previous, the, the, the previous, you know, a couple decades. Um, we're back to kind of levels that we saw you know, decades and decades ago, as far as, uh, as far as the tenant base, um, back in like the sixties and seventies, we saw a tenant, tenant base very similar to this. So, and I think that's a trend here to stay. Uh, the other thing I, I really like, obviously is we're undersupplied still. Um, even, even as we build more and more, we're still undersupplied. We're at historically low vacancies. So that's definitely huge benefit. The other thing is, um, very stable, uh, which, you know, not only stable income, um, stable expenses, you know, pretty stable market overall. Um, so I, I definitely, definitely like that. Um, lots of opportunity for different value added strategies, lots of ways to make money, to cut expenses, um, to add amenities, to, you know, create value in different ways. So I like that about the space. Um, also the large multifamily space. I like the fact that we can get really great lending terms, right? And something that most other commercial doesn't really offer is the types of lending terms that we can get in large multifamily. So we can get these 30 year amortizing loans fixed for, you know, up to like 12 to 15 years, actually even fixed, uh, even we can get 35 year HUD loan fixed for 35 years. Um, so that's big benefit. We get these lo- super low interest rates, interest rates in the, 
you know, mid threes to, to uh, low fours right now. Um, you know, like I said, fixed for a long time, non-recourse, uh, leveraged up to 80%. Um, we have, you know, all kinds of different construction loan products, bridge loans, mezzanine debt. So there's just, there's just a ton of options for financing and it's a very desirable product for lenders to finance. So, so that's a, a huge benefit. The other benefit is on the large multifamilies, I can have on-site leasing. I can have on-site maintenance. You know, they get large enough. We have enough income where we can have on-site staff there taking care of the properties as well. And then we've got a plethora of third-party management companies in most major markets. Um, something that I don't see as much in commercial in other commercial assets. So those are some of the benefits. Um, some of the reasons I favor it. Uh, there's definitely other benefits in other sectors, but that's one of the main, some of the main reasons I like multifamily. So I know for a lot of people, the, you know, hundred unit plus uh, can seem intimidating and in order for a multifamily to be considered commercial, it has to be at least five units. So uh, why not invest like starting out in a, a smaller five to 75 unit place? Yeah. So one of the, I mean, you know, these five to 75 units, as you just asked about, you know, there's, there's definitely benefit to starting in that because granted you get, I mean, you can start with your own money potentially, or maybe you and a couple partners, or it's just obviously easier to get that start. And I started with small properties too. I started with the 20 units, the 10 units, that those types of properties. Um, actually I started even smaller. I started with the one to four families. Um, but some some downsides to those uh, you 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 can't get the same type of financing that I talked about now I shouldn't say you can't get that, but especially on the smaller ones like that five unit ten unit uh, the a lot more challenging to get those that type of financing that I was talking about the non recourse your loan amount has to be over a million dollars, so purchase price oftentimes isn't quite enough um, now as price to get more expensive then yeah does that happen but uh, for the most part, those really small are, are going to be challenging to get that beneficial financing on. So you're going to have to get recourse financing. You're going to have to get you know, the, the commercial type loan from a local bank, which is like a 20, 20 to 25 year amortization fixed for only about three to seven years, uh, maybe up to 10 years. You get lucky. And like I said, it's full recourse, usually 25 to 30% down. The other big thing I think that's... Um, you don't have that scale, right? So you, you, you know, you get one vacancy that affects you a lot more. You get, um, a, you know, bigger repair item that affects you more. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, you don't have on-site. Okay. And that's one of the biggest things I like about the large properties. It's more professional. I get on-site management. You know, if I get a 200 unit building, I've got two full-time people in the office and I've got two full-time maintenance people. Where if I have a 20-unit building, I have zero full-time maintenance people and I have zero full-time uh, leasing staff on, on site. So those are probably the biggest downfalls. The other big downfall, I would say, is you got no amenities hmm. or very few. Like you can't have, you can't put a pool in a five-unit building. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, how about retail space? Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of people who are really interested in triple net leases from, uh, you know, mini uh, or like uh, strip malls and things like that or restaurants and such, auto parts well, stores. 
Okay, so let's let's break that down because we've got different strategies there. So you've got the triple net lease, like you just mentioned, and you've got other like other options as well. So the triple net lease, let's talk like the Walgreens, the Dollar Tree, the the CVS Pharmacy, you know, that those types of ones. Uh those are a different strategy, right? That's called mailbox money. You know, you stick your head in the mailbox and grab your check and you don't think about the property, right? That's kind of on the same level as I would consider investing in a multifamily syndication. Uh, maybe a little bit more work because they are your properties and if the vacancy does happen, you still have to deal with it. But those are going to be uh, low cap rates, you know, be, between, you know, depending on your market between, you know, probably four to six, seven cap at the very highest, but most markets are right for the, for the Walgreens are right around that five to six cap. Um, and they're not going to have much value add, if any. They're probably not going to have any value add, quite frankly, because um, the Walgreens just has a long, super long lease, or those these triple nets have a super long lease, so they're going to pay what they pay. So you don't have any value add per se. So that's probably your your biggest downfall. Uh, the biggest benefit is you have very very little maintenance, right? The they take care of the property, they take care of all the bills. Um, repairs happen, they take care of it. So you do have some stuff you have to deal with, but very, very little. Um, so that's, that's a benefit of the retail space, pretty stable, good, typically good, strong tenants. Um, now when we're talking other retail, that's a totally different story. So, so your other retail might not be a triple net lease or might be a triple net lease, but it's not as strong of a tenant, right? You've got a newer business or maybe a partially seasoned business, but um, let's call it a strip mall, okay, that you've got. You maybe have a a strong anchor tenant, but then you've got some other weaker tenants. You've got maybe a, you know, nail salon in there that that's that's their first year or two in business. And you've got, um, you know, maybe a, maybe a, once upon a child uh, store or like a, who knows, just a small retail store that's not quite as strong. You might have a couple stronger anchor tenants, but uh, for the most part of retail, you've got kind of a mix. So those are challenging. Uh, obviously, we've got, you know, Amazon and all these other online things that are freaking out the retail space. That's still, I would say, up in the air. I mean, I think that industry is very new still. Even though it's been around, the online shopping's been around for a while, it's still, it's still fairly new. Um, and when you look at demographics, I mean, who's the demographics that are taking over? It's going to be the millennials and, and the gen, whatever is younger than the millennials. Yeah, Gen um, Z. They're, Gen Z, they're kind of taking over and baby boomers are starting to get older. Um, I think they're even accepting a little bit more. Um, but as that generation gets older and older and starts passing away, you know, what's going to happen to retail stores? I think that that's definitely concern to have. Now, do I think it's going to go away completely? No, I, I still don't think it's going to go away, but it's definitely a concern to have. I think if I was investing in retail shops, I would be looking to fill some of my occupancy with um, things like the nail salon, things like, uh, you know, uh, chiropractor, um, maybe a small doctor's office, um, you know, stuff like that where they're actually, you can't, you can't go buy a back adjustment on Amazon. You know, you can't, you can't do some of that stuff. So we want to look for some businesses like that, that we can fill in our retail space. 
And how does retail perform, uh, you know, in a downturn economy? Yeah, again, it's going to depend on kind of who you have as your tenants, your anchor tenants, and, and your, the majority of your tenants. You know, if you have strong established businesses, probably going to perform pretty well. Uh, but if you have new young businesses, I mean, nine out of 10 businesses fail within the first year, you know, nine out of 10 of those businesses fail in the next 10 years. So are you going to have some some hiccups, yeah. Are they really tough to fill during a downturn? Absolutely. So you've really got to look at your basis and where you're at and what's going to happen in a downturn and, and how much are you going to actually lose. You want to look at historical, you know, what's happened in some of these recessions in the past and how much, you know, what, they're maybe at 95% now, but what were they during the last recession to get down to, to 80% or 85% or what happens? You know, you see these strip malls sometimes that are completely vacant or maybe have a couple of tents in and you go, holy cow, I, I'm so glad I don't own that thing. That's what makes me the most nervous about something like a retail space is, and you see a lot of them sitting there. But at the same time, there's potentially really good opportunities too because they are sitting there oftentimes for a reason. You know, think about it. If you've got a business and it's reputable, do you want to be putting, and this compares to office as well, uh, do you want to be putting your office or your business in a strip mall or in a office place, in any kind of building that's run down, that hasn't been maintained, that's maybe hasn't been updated since 1985? You know, that's not what you want. Uh, do you really want to be representing yourself like that? Most people there's no, the answer is no. Like I want my business to look professional. I looked at buying an office building and it hadn't been updated in years and years and years. And when you walk into the bathroom, it's like, this bathroom is nasty. It's gross. I couldn't, I couldn't have one of my clients come in and they asked to use a restroom. I would have to say, sorry, you've got to go like drive somewhere else. Cause you can't go to this bathroom. It's so gross. Like you don't, you don't want that as your office. They walk in and it looks like something out of 1980 it's like, that's just not how I want to represent my business if I'm successful. So there is a lot of value add opportunities in some of these office spaces, some of these retail shop centers that haven't been updated in years because good businesses want to lease in good spaces. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com.
And how about uh, mini storage units? I see a lot of these being built uh, recently uh, nationwide. So, I mean, there's mini storage or self storage, you know, they kind of call, they kind of fall in the same uh, area, but so like the mini storage is going to be, you know, probably that heated storage, um, climate controlled storage, I should say. Uh, in Minnesota, it's it's heated, <laughs> uh, but it's climate control storage. It's typically you walk into a building, you might drive into the building, but it's kind of one main building. Um, and then you've got the other ones that are more like garage styles. Uh, those can be climate controlled as well. Um, definitely a lot of benefit there. Um, the, the big concern with those is, is right now there's just an oversupply. There's been a ton of building. Um, I think everybody thinks that everybody's going to own a bunch of, or own a bunch of crap. They don't want to get rid of and just going to store it. And so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of building. And so you got to be really cautious about what market you're in and what the supply is. So that, that's the biggest concern in that industry is, you know, the, the profitability is great if you've got an occupied building or if you buy it right. But what's the vacancy rate? Uh, how many building is going on? What's the, how are the cities reacting right now? A lot of cities are putting kind of moratoriums on building new self-storage. So that's good. That's a good thing. Um, if you are a, a, an owner of them, you want to make sure that you don't have a bunch of new construction happening because that's where your tenants are going to go. Um, I, I like the industry overall, uh, if you can find us, you know, the, the right stable markets and most markets aren't super oversupplied. It's just, uh, a handful that are very, very oversupplied. Then some other markets are kind of oversupplied and then the rest of them are okay. Hmm. Um, but you know, they're good because you've got very little, very little maintenance. You've got very little overhead. You've got very little tenant, uh, you know, communication. Uh, it's just pretty easy to do. You got a lot of automation that you can put into them uh, to where it cuts down even more on tenant communication. Now, I do think you still want tenant communication, but you can, the more automation you can put in, it, for the most part, the better, as long as you do maintain a level of communication um, with your tenants. The thing I would be the most concerned about is I don't, I don't know about you, but people that I know that are my age and, and, and younger don't want a bunch of crap. Like we don't want a bunch of crap. We don't own a self-storage place. We'll never, or sorry, rent a self-storage place. We'll never rent a self-storage place. Uh, I don't know anybody that's my age, quite frankly, that rents a self-storage place um, and accumulates that much stuff. I think most people my age and younger seem like they don't accumulate that much stuff. I don't know about you, but that's been my experience. What What's yours? Uh, it's, yeah, I know a few people who have just as a transition basis if they're moving or upsizing yeah, or downsizing. That's, that's, diff like that. that's different, I guess. That's a short term. Yeah. Uh, but as a long term, I mean, you know, I've seen the shows. Uh, so it's interesting what people store in there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know people specifically who store stuff. I just keep my stuff in my garage or basement or whatever. I mean, everybody that I know right now that, that has a self-storage, I, I mean, I'm picturing them right now. They're all in their like 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, so that, that, in my opinion, would be concerned. Now that's just, that's just my experience. That doesn't mean that's a validated, uh, research product, right? I, like I didn't research this. This is just something I've like my head with my experience. So it might be different. I, I, I would have to really dig into it if I was interested in that industry, which I am. Um, but if I was going to be seriously considered purchasing something, I'd want to look at that demographic and see what's happening and see who my tenant base is and, and, uh, you know, 
when they're coming in and obviously people still like their crap. I'm not saying they don't, but um, you know, once the baby boomers again die off, what's going to happen if people don't have as much stuff and they don't want to store it at self storage places? Well, then these self storage places are oversupplied. Yeah. So something to just be aware of uh, as you're looking at stuff is you always want to look at what the demand uh, is. So, and oh, what the demand will be too. What the demand will be. Yeah. By by the way, going back to retail office, and this is actually applies to like industrial and some of the other things that we're going to talk about. One of the nicest things I think with uh, these industries are you are dealing with business owners, right? So we always talk about surrounding ourselves with successful people, surrounding ourselves with like-minded people. Well, guess what? If you have tenants that are business owners, you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. You're surrounding yourself with successful people. You get to talk with business owners every day. That as your tenant, if you've got apartments or self-storage, you know, our typical apartment tenant is going to be B and C class tenant. You know, we, do we have A class? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for, for me especially, uh, most of our product is B and C class. And so that's the tenant that we're going to be communicating with. So when, and, and not that there's anything wrong with those people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those people. But when we talk about who we associate with, um, well, we're associating with, with people that typically aren't business owners, typically aren't, um, not to say not successful, but successful in business and in, you know, that type of uh, industry, you know, and having the same mindset is what we want. Um, your typical B and C class are W2 and, and, you know, they're working full-time jobs and um, they're, you know, normal everyday people. They're potentially fantastic people, but they're just not those uh, business owners, those entrepreneur mindset, that type of thing. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So I think that's a big, a big benefit of the, the retail, the office, the industrial, some of those are that you get to deal with those types of tenants. Um, now there can be some downfalls with those types of people, but um, you know, there's, I think overall benefit. Okay. And what are the pros and cons for hospitality? And I'm talking hotels, motels, resorts. I know you used to own a ski resort. Yeah. I mean, so obviously the, the biggest downfall I would say is it's very economy driven. Um, you know, times are good. People want a vacation. They've got extra money. They want to go on vacation. They want to spend their money. They want to go to your resort. They want to go to your ski resort. They want to go to your um, RV park or whatever it is. Um, so, so yeah, times are great. They want to spend, they want to be there. They're going to spend extra money on all the extra little amenities or, you know, restaurants or whatever else is there that you might have. Times are bad. People cut back. They don't want to go on vacations anymore. They don't want to spend that extra money. Um, they're, they're not going to go on three trips a year or two trips a year. They're going to go maybe on one, or maybe they'll go every other year. Um, just skip this year because, you know, they're not quite sure about things. So I think it's very volatile on the economy. Now, all of them are volatile on the economy, but hospitality and tourism tends to be even more volatile on the economy than any other uh, one of those goes. So you just really have to be looking when you're buying those properties at what your vacancy rates are and, and uh, you know, what they tend to, to shift to. And, 
every sub market market's going to be different. You know, things out in the country are going to be different than places in the city than than places in really touristy areas. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to buy a, um, uh, a hotel that caters mainly to businesses, you know, to, to business travelers, you're probably going to be pretty, pretty well insulated. Right. But if you own a, a resort or a hotel that's in a resort type area, well, you're not going to be very well insulated at all. So you've got to look at, okay, what are, what are my, what's my downside risks to this? And does this building make sense in a poor economy? Yeah. So especially when you're buying in a good economy, that's, that's the one thing in any, any asset class right now that we got to be really aware of, whether it's office, retail, multifamily, self-storage, uh, you know, hotel tourism, we're in a good economy right now. So if you're basing all your numbers on what's happening today and that's kind of what you're looking at, well, a recession eventually will happen. And so we have to understand what can happen and what our downside potential is. And and if we can understand that and we really process and think about it and our property still works, well, then we're, we're insulated and it's worth buying. But, you know, a lot of people don't think that way. They go, Oh, it's good right now. It's 95%. Um, you know, they just don't think about the downside risks. Yeah, that's where conservative underwriting comes into play, where you're, uh, you know, even in the bad times, if you're still going to be profitable, then it's probably a good deal. Yeah, and we can never predict 100%, you know, what's yeah. going to happen, but we want to be aware of what has happened in the past and be able to stress test our properties. You know, in my underwriting, I've got an, a, a tab that is called stress testing, and we do several stress tests on that tab in order to see if our properties make sense to do uh to purchase not only right now but in potential bad times sure and then what about industrial like light assembly and factories that kind of stuff yeah so uh, obviously industrial is broken into several um like you just kind of mentioned you've got uh and and i would call warehouse part of industrial as well Mm -hmm. i mean you've got the warehouse uh, you've got uh, light industrial and then you've got heavy industrial. Um, mostly heavy industrial is owned by the business typically. Um, you know, it's a larger business like 3M or something like that. They're going to own their own building typically. Um, but then you've got a lot of light industrial. You've got a lot of manufacturing plants and stuff like that. Um, and then you've got your warehouse, which is like your Amazon, uh, you know, storage and whatever. Uh, so... Those, uh, uh, right now, it's, it's a very hot sector. I, I would say it's as hot as multifamily. I mean, people love it. People are seeing a lot of benefits to it. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the, I guess, scariest parts about industrial, especially it feels like as you get into the bigger uh, units, it, it, one of, I think one of the biggest risks with industrial, and, and I would say this to anything, the office, the retail, uh, is if we have one or two tenants, there's a lot of risk there because what happens if that tenant goes out of business, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest risk in industrial and, and quite frankly, in any of the sectors is if you have just one tenant uh, and you don't have a bunch of them. So I like the, I like the industrial that's kind of got the, the bays, you know, where you have five, six, seven different businesses in there. So if one of them goes away, you still have the other one supporting you. I like the mall of real estate where you've got the offices in the front and the warehouse in the back. Hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the sector I would be the most interested in, in purchasing. 
Uh, but industrial right now has extremely low cap rates uh, comparatively. You know, I think historically in the, or not historically, but I think right now in the U.S., uh, they're, they're averaging in the 5% range for cap rates. Um, very similar to multifamily, high fives. Um, what is it about those mullets that you really like? Uh, you've got that versatility. I mean, you, you, and, and you've got, you know, you kind of got the best of both, right? You've got the office. Um, a lot of people want an office there and they have, they have businesses that they, they want the, the presence. They want the storefront. They want the office. They have the admin, um, but they also need, you know, the storage or the manufacturing or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I just think they offer that uh, flexibility. Those flex spaces, I think, are, are really nice. So um, I think they give the I think they give a lot of good options to business owners. Yeah. Do those tenants tend to stay longer? Yeah. So your well, your businesses overall tend to stay, but I would say, you know, your industrial, yeah, it's it's expensive to move. You know, I mean, it depends on what it is, but let's think about a, a manufacturing company. It's expensive to pick up all your equipment and move it. It's going to cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to move all those machines. And you probably retrofitted the building to work really well for, for your purpose. You know, you might have had to put in air handlers. You might have had to, you know, done a, a lot of different OSHA regulations in order to, to make that facility compliant to your special purpose, your special need. I mean, the more specialized, the longer you're probably going to stay. You know, if you've got medical and different types of manufacturing, I mean, man, the chemical manufacturing, I mean, you've got to have all kinds of different things that you put in place in order to make it compliant. And if you're going to move, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And so they're going to be really careful and really slow at moving. Um, so yeah, they, they can be very, very stable. Um, the bad thing is they specialize that. And so now all of a sudden you're, you're kind of, you either have to do a new, a new build out, or, uh, if they move, you have to do a new build out, or you have to find a business that's very like, um, the business that just moved out. So there's another class uh, called special use, and that includes a variety of things that could be religious facilities gyms, event centers, uh, um, that sort of stuff. What are your thoughts about special use? Yeah, I mean, they can be great. I think uh, for the most part, if I were buying those, I'd want to be the one actually running the business out of them, but that's just me. Um, You know, medical, obviously really strong. Um, You could consider that part of the office sector as well or special use, but uh, very, very strong uh, medical. So uh, yeah, I would love to buy something in the medical, but those are very low cap rates right now. Um, very attractive for people uh, to purchase and kind of a lot of mailbox money in those because they've got long leases. And those, again, they're probably going to stay for a while, especially if you've got more specialists uh, in your medical center. Yeah. So I'm not super up on, on that uh, field, so I don't want to go too much in detail on it. That's fair. And then there's a mixed use where it could be uh, retail space on the first floor and then apartments above it or, or any other mix of any of those classes. Yeah. So mixed use is, 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 can be great depending on where you're at. Um, you know, so you got that retail, you got the restaurants, you got the bars, whatever on the bottom floor, you got apartments on the top. The one thing to be cognizant of is your financing. Um, I don't know the exact 
ratio right now on, on top of my head, I think it's 85-15, but don't quote me on that. Uh, if 85% of it is apartments and 15% is retail, you could still get agency debt, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, the loans I talked about right away where we get 30 year non-recourse. But if it's over that 85-15, again, I don't know if that number is the actual number. Uh, so again, don't quote me, get, get some, uh, have a conversation with a commercial real estate lend broker, um, you know, like a Graystar or a Arbor or, you know, somebody like that. Um, but if it's over that, you're going to have to get kind of your, more of your traditional commercial where you're going to, you know, local bank or a regional bank or, um, and getting you know, your 20, 25 year AM full recourse or partial recourse. Um, you're getting your, you know, five year fixed, that type of debt. Maybe interest rates are probably closer to that 5%. Um, so a little bit different in there, but at the same time, and those, that's great product. It gives you not only some of the professional uh, tenants that you're looking for, but it gives you some of the stability of the, uh, of the, the multifamily. So, uh, and then it gives your tenants some amenities that they don't have to go anywhere. They already got the restaurants, they already got some retail and they love it. So those are really great for urban core uh, investments. Um, definitely like those a lot. So, so in the uh, beginning of this episode, you kind of talked about some of the positives of uh, large multifamily. Uh, what sort of advice would you give to people to make sure when they are getting a large multifamily to make sure they're set up for success? Oh boy. I mean, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, we don't have time to answer that really. Uh, there's, there's so many things involved I think you know, there's a lot of different episodes that we've already talked about some of sure. the different things and we can dig into it. But I think overall it starts with your underwriting, you know, are you being conservative with your numbers? Are you being realistic? Are you stress testing? And then the next is operations. You know, do you have the right people in place to operate the asset? And this goes for all asset classes, not just multifamily. This goes for every commercial asset class that we've talked about today. Uh, do you have the right people in place to, to operate the asset? Do you understand, uh, do you have a clear cut business plan, understand what your goals and objectives are, and then do you uh, conservatively underwrite the asset and have the right amount of reserves and financing in place? Yeah. And uh, so there's so many different ways of investing in real estate. Uh, and I think a lot of people uh, can you know, become victim of the, the shiny object syndrome. <laughs> Uh, what advice do you have to people on on considering all these different ways of, of how they can narrow it down to the, the one best way for them? Yeah, pick one. Simple. Pick one. I mean, pick pick a pick a strategy. You're going to do it. Doesn't have to be multifamily. Just because I like it doesn't have to be it. I do like other asset classes. Quite frankly, I do like the idea of a little bit of diversification. But I wouldn't go crazy on your diversification and think you're going to buy a little bit of everything. Um, at least, not right away, I would slowly be doing that. So uh, if you want to transition into here, here's one thing I would say is pick one, stick to it, do it really well, get the right assets, be strong at it, make money at it. If you want to switch into another asset class, either do it two ways. One, find partners that are very well versed in it and partner with them. Okay. Figure out how you're going to fit into that their business and get some sort of control over it, whether it's bringing money to the table, bringing some of your other skills, maybe your underwriting skills, maybe your management skills, whatever it is, but partner with the right people. The other way is I would wait for the economy to be bad 
And once the economy is bad, that's the time when the economy is at the, at the low end. That's the time to start digging into new asset classes and looking into them because that's where you've got the most amount of forgiveness. Right now, you don't have a lot of forgiveness. If things go bad on your asset and the economy goes bad, you're going to go down with it. There's not a lot of room for forgiveness where if you've got a little bit of a poor economy there's, and you can buy it at a really good value, there's a little bit of room for forgiveness. So I would say, yeah, shiny object's great, but let's, let's actually focus on something. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, any other thoughts about large multifamily versus the other commercial real estate classes? No, I think I've covered it. Uh, as, as far as my opinion, I think I've covered it all. All right, fantastic. Cool, Matt. Uh, well, that's, that's all I got. You got anything else you want to add? Uh, no, that's it for today. Okay, perfect. Well, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.